Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Susie Ahn, and this is Reset. Today is World AIDS Day, a reminder that the COVID-19 pandemic isn't the only public health crisis we're facing. Nearly 38 million people are living with HIV worldwide, and about 33 million have died from AIDS-related illnesses since the epidemic began in the 1980s. There have been hard-earned gains in the fight against AIDS, but they could be at risk as the COVID-19 pandemic rages on. Stephen Thrasher is the Daniel Renberg Chair of Social Justice and Reporting at Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. Thrasher says that World AIDS Day serves many purposes, including reminding people that there are many pandemics happening around the globe today. Uh, According to the World Health Organization, there are about 20 uh, pandemics or endemics, which are viruses or pathogens that become part of the world that we just deal with over time. And so COVID, of course, is the most known one to us right now. But of course, AIDS is still ongoing. Almost 700,000 people died last year. West Nile, uh, there there are many other viruses that that are pandemics right now. And the reason AIDS, I think, is so important to think about right now I was doing research for this piece and and reading some new work by colleagues. I realized for the first time, a majority of the people who've died of AIDS died after medications became available. Uh, In 1995, very effective medication came that in theory should make it so that no one has to die of AIDS. And yet tens of millions of people have died since then. And as we are on the eve potentially of a coronavirus vaccination coming to market, I think we need to understand that what's needed is not just simply a drug. Uh, Getting the drugs to people is going to be a challenge of its own. But the conditions that lead to why people are vulnerable to viruses and the sicknesses they create, uh, if those conditions don't change, then a drug is not going to save the lives that that it needs to. Mm -hmm. You bring up a good point comparing COVID-19, the thing that is very front of mind for so many of us, Uh, What are some ways that the AIDS epidemic and the COVID-19 pandemic mirror each other? They mirror each other in that they affect uh, similar populations of vulnerable people. The irony is that the viruses themselves are not particularly similar. They behave very differently. They have completely different time scales. Uh, HIV will take years or maybe even a decade, decade and a half before it will kill someone, but untreated, uh, it will eventually kill people. And the coronavirus goes very quickly through people, and it doesn't kill most people it encounters. And yet, ironically, you know, they, they both affect similar populations because those who are put in the path of viruses, it's not simply a matter of biology. The reason why people are... Um, likely to become infected with one of these viruses has to do with how likely they are to be homeless, how likely they are to be employed, how likely they are to have access to health care and to space and the healthy conditions for living. And so I think that's a really helpful way to think about them both together. And then as we think about the possibility of there being a vaccination, AIDS has a really good precedent for us to know what the challenges are, because there's not a vaccination for HIV as such, but the medication for HIV behaves like a vaccination and that it does not only protect the people who take it, it actually makes onward transmission impossible. When people are properly medicated, they can't transmit the virus on. And so it starts to cycle itself out of communities. And so if we get a coronavirus vaccination and it starts rolling into the world, 
the people who get it will be protected as well the people they encounter and those who don't get it it's going to keep moving it could actually we could actually see the the disparities um accelerate between those who see their rates are going down and those where they're actually going up well how is the covid-19 pandemic affecting the aids epidemic i mean is the pandemic putting pressure on hard-earned gains in hiv prevention and the the battle against aids yeah, it's behaving in lots of ways that are uh, some are predictable and some are not predictable. Uh, most immediately, there were enormous challenges I've seen around the world in my own research and through my colleagues and just getting people tested and continuing their HIV care. When we were all locked down, when the very severe lockdowns were happening, people weren't getting their HIV medications. And people that we would want to be getting tested for HIV were not getting tested. If you picture someone during the lockdowns in March, April, May, that maybe had HIV and if they knew that they had it, if they'd been tested as might have happened otherwise, they would not have tra- transmitted on to their intimate partners or, or other people that maybe they shared in- injection needles with or if they were pregnant you know, to their offspring. So that was one level. There's enormous strain on all the, re- the medical resources of the world right now, syringes, gloves, PPE, even things like you know, that, that we don't value nearly as much as we should labs. Labs can only process so much stuff. Of course, labs around the world are trying to process coronavirus. And the people themselves, the people who are doing this work, they are not an expendable a recreatable resource, then there are only so many people to do this work. And so around injection drug use and the opioid epidemic, there were lots of programs that were making gains, particularly in rural America, around getting people into care that when when they lost contact with people for three or four months, that did a huge disservice to their work. And it's really hard to get it again. Yeah. And then there the supply chain and sort of where clean syringes are going to and where medical supplies are going to make it even harder to get these materials to the people who are most vulnerable. And AIDS and COVID, as I write about my piece, are are quite connected in that homelessness is an enormous predictor of who's most at risk. Mm-hmm. The condition of not having safe housing itself, but all the other things that it creates a problem around. And so as we face an eviction crisis in this country, because um, the people who were most affected economically in lockdowns and not being able to work, they're likely to become evicted, that could continue to make um worse damage to gains that were being made around HIV and AIDS, but it can also fuel COVID transmission. The study that I write about in my piece estimates that about a half million additional uh, transmissions have already happened because of evictions, including about 10,000 deaths that have happened by eviction so far. Now, the HIV crisis hasn't ended, of course, and it continues to be a serious health issue in different parts of the world. Uh, Here in the U.S., Black and Latinos continue to be disproportionately affected by the virus. Talk a little more about that. You know, here in Chicago, we've had pretty good gains as in a number of cities because U.S. cities have a decent health, public health infrastructure, and they've been working on HIV for decades. Where a lot of the problem is right now is actually in rural America, in Appalachia, in the Midwest, and in the Mississippi River Delta in the South. And that has to do with a number of things. One, they don't have 
the history and infrastructure around dealing with infectious disease, the opioid epidemic and deindustrialization and the ways that poverty has come to rural America, that also is affecting things very much. And it particularly has been affecting Black and Latinx people for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we are more likely to be affected by the configuration factors that lead to HIV transmission. So as I was saying before, homelessness, incarceration, these are big predictors. We have much less access to healthcare. We have other health conditions that mean that we're more vulnerable. And when it comes explicitly to queer, bisexual, gay men, the reason why HIV rates are so much higher doesn't have to do with Black or gay men having more unprotected sex or using intravenous drugs at a higher rate. They actually have lower rates of uh, unprotected sex and intravenous drug use. But what happened is the same dynamic that I'm afraid of, which could happen with the coronavirus vaccine, is that the drugs got into white communities and wealthier communities where people had access to healthcare. And as they got it, the drugs drove the rate of HIV down. And those drugs just haven't gotten into the other populations. And so the rates have continued to tick up. And one of the things I'm writing about in my book is the just really horrible statistic I've come across from the CDC that rates of AIDS amongst Black America overall in 2015, uh, which is 20 years after there'd been medication, um, were still higher than they ever were for white America when there was no medication. So that really makes me frightened about coronavirus, that just because there's a drug, it doesn't mean the disparities are going to be addressed. They, they can actually become more stark if there's not an explicit anti-capitalist, anti-racist intervention to deal with getting the drugs to the people who need them the we, most. We have just about a minute left, and I just want to mention you, your forthcoming uh, book that, that you talked about, The Virtual Underclass, How Racism, Ableism, and Capitalism Plague Humans on the Margins. And you talked about the viral underclass. I want to ask you, what do you want to leave with people today on World AIDS Day? I want them to think about um, how many people have given their lives to trying to protect others from HIV and how many people have given their lives to AIDS. And from the beauty of their lives and their legacies, we can understand that we don't have to have a world with AIDS. We have the technology, we have the culture, there are ways to deal with this. And if we can imagine a world without AIDS, that means imagining a world where the kinds of people who get AIDS would be protected and have what they need. And that kind of world, even though a lot of those people are unfairly despised by the wider society, but in that kind of world, if those people were taken care of, not only would they be well, we actually would be dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and we would be dealing with all the structural issues around it that have made it so deadly. So that's what I would like to leave people with. That's Stephen Thrasher, the Daniel Renberg Chair of Social Justice and Reporting at Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. Stephen, thanks for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. And that's today's Reset. If you love the conversations we bring you on this podcast, take a minute or less and give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. We're less than two weeks away from Sasha Ann Simons taking over the host chair at Reset. But for now, I'm Susie Ann. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for another Reset from WBEZ Chicago.
At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.